This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back my It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all Coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you So you think you've seen it all? Well, you've never met Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. And you've never been to Little China. You make one move. Big trouble. In Little China, adventure doesn't come any bigger. Rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, July 2nd at a theater near you. Alrighty, folks and you degenerates out there, this is the John Carpenter Appreciation Month here at Cinema Degeneration. And we have a title for you this evening that is probably... Uh, not even probably, it, it, it is the most fun uh, movie in John Carpenter's filmography, the 1986 Big Trouble in Little China. And joining me this evening is uh, one of my Grindhouse Pizzeria co-hosts, Tony Walters. How are we doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. I can't wait to uh, to talk Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> talk. We, we're going to be talking a lot about Jack Burton. I feel like he's going to be the center of attention on this episode. Definitely, man. That tank top rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I could not rock that tank tank top. I don't think I can make that work. But Kurt Russell, he he makes that shit work. You know that that tank top is legendary. So legendary uh, that it popped up in Death Proof. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a band I, I it's like my favorite band. They're called Every Time I Die. And one of the times when I saw them live, their guitar player was wearing that tank top. <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> that's, that's that's great. All right. Well, let me go ahead and start off with a quick IMDb, quick little synopsis, and then we'll get right off into it. This is as follows: A rough and tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sor- sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. And for once, I feel like that's uh, that's pretty right on. That's pretty right on the money there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Most of the time, uh, they feel like they're written by a third grader, but you know, that one I like. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. The uh, the funny thing uh, is that the original script it was a western. Yes. I, I so mean, the synopsis could have been could have been a little bit different. He could have been a, a rough and tumble uh, cowboy, uh, you know, that loses his horse. <laughs> well, I made a note about that, that it was written as a Western because the Pork Chop Express that gets uh, his truck that gets stolen was originally supposed to be a horse that gets stolen. So, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that when I found that out to, uh, to, to find that out about this movie, because 
John Carpenter's such a huge Western fan, and there's Western elements in literally almost every movie he makes. You know, so doesn't surprise me at all. Definitely. But, but let's talk about this intro. We get Victor Wong as Egg Shen doing the the opening interrogation with the which I I was confused. I kind of thought they were were police officers, but then I read in the within the storyline that they're supposed to be lawyers. When they're asking him a bit, you know, about the explosions downtown, green fire erupting from the sewers and the streets. Right. And they, keep, and they keep asking him about Jack Burton, and he is very adamant that you leave Jack Burton alone. I, just, I think Egg Shen is a funny fucking character. I, I, I love Egg Shen. He's great comedic relief. He's great, and I love Victor Wong. Like, he, he's such a great actor, and he popped up in a lot of stuff at this in this time. Like, uh, he's great in Tremors. And uh, uh, I was, oh, yeah, you know, I was a kid in the throughout the early 90s. And so I love the Three Ninjas movies. So like, that's how I know him probably best is from that, that like franchise, those at least those first three films. But uh, but yeah, Tremors as well. And then uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, it's great. Yeah, I remember him. He was uh, Grandpa Mori, wasn't he? In, in Three Ninjas, if I remember correctly. Is that his last name? Uh, yeah, I'll say I, 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 I know he's, so. he's, he's the grandpa, but I don't know. I can't I'm not sure if I remember his 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 actual name but yeah i watched those movies a lot when i was a kid uh so every time i see his face it makes me happy but yeah he yes. passed away in 2001 i guess wow it's been that long and it doesn't seem like it but yeah he's been gone a while but he was he became like a i wouldn't say a staple with uh john carpenter's work i mean he just did two films with him he did uh this one then the next year he did uh prince of darkness which is another great movie two movies of vastly different uh themes vastly different kind of thematic qualities but i also found it funny that they said they're part of the reason they felt like this movie had it was a box office failure unfortunately was as it was with a couple of john carpenter's more you know, cult hits. They weren't initially, you know, box office draws, but this came out the same year as The Golden Child, which Victor Wong was also in. So you're kind of damned, right. if you do, damned if you don't. He had his he had his ground cover there, right? But the, I mean, uh, the the fun stuff with that, I guess, is the, uh, uh, like they 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 rushed production or Carpenter Rush production so he could get out before The Golden Child because he thought that maybe that movie would would hurt them in the box office, but then. They ended up suffering the box office anyway, but it was because the studio didn't know how to market the movie because in all the test audiences, uh, all like the test screenings, audience loved it. When they did the press circuit, um, they kept getting asked, like, how's it feel to be a part of such a big blockbuster movie and like the biggest movie of the year and all this stuff. So Kurt Russell and Carpenter both thought this movie was going to be huge and then it didn't make anything really. It made like, I think, $11 million in the box office. Yeah, on a like roughly twenty five million dollar budget, that's that's not successful at all. That's quite the opposite, which just is crazy. It just shows you, you know, that a movie that can test well can be ruined by either you know bad publicity or no, no publicity for this matter. Because yeah, cause, uh, you yeah know. just it's just bad marketing. But but time, you know, time will tell. I mean, I mean, time has told on this movie. Big Trouble in Little China, I think, is definitely the bigger movie now versus The Golden Child, as if you want to compare the two. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I think people kind of would consider Golden Child to be a throwaway Eddie Murphy movie, you know, right you know, from, from the 80s. Maybe not throwaway. Not, That's kind of harsh because, because but, I, I like the movie, but like it's just kind of another one lost in the shuffle. But I think most people, you know, even people past just the uh, general 
pop culture reference. No right. big trouble in Little China, you know. Definitely, definitely. But, you know, we get an epic Jack Burton entrance after uh, Egg Shen kind of shows the, the lawyer, you know, that there is real magic. Because the lawyer doesn't believe it, you know. And again, who would, you know, that there's that there's sorcerers and black magic and stuff. You know, m- most uh, logical people wouldn't believe in it. And this guy doesn't. So he's like, you know, show me something. So he shows him a little bit of a little light show. Between- a little lightning. Yeah, a little lightning. And, you know, I mean, they're just this old-fashioned optical effects, old-school style, but I still think, you know, for the most part, a lot of these effects still hold up. There's a few effects in this movie that don't hold up very well, you know, but again, it's 1986, you know, versus 2021, so, you know, almost 40 years have passed. But, you know, I still think a lot of these old-school optical effects work out really well. But then we get the epic Jack Burton entrance as he enters on the Pork Chop Express, which is just a great big 18-wheeler. And I couldn't write down all the epic dialogue. I would have made a half a page of notes <laughs> on just his opening dialogue. But, you know, he's got your, have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check's in the mail. When he's just talking over his little CB radio, there's so many great lines. And the most repeated one is, it's all in the reflexes, which I have to admit. You know, I'm a bit of a nerd and a whole lot of a geek. I use that phrase at least once a week in my day-to-day life. You know, <laughs> not ashamed, not ashamed to admit it, but, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of Jack Burton. Uh, a loudmouth braggart that can't back up what he says nine times out of ten. I think that's a, the best way to describe Jack Burton. Uh, yeah, I could definitely, definitely agree with that, for sure. Uh, something, a little, a little note here that I have written down. Um, it, and I don't know how true this is, but the the Chinese writing that's on the Big Trouble Little China title reel, uh, right before he's introduced, translates to "Evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state." <laughs> <laughs> and, and wait, what? Which words? The the, in, the Chinese in, in, lettering at the beginning? Yeah, the Chinese lettering that's like in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> like the, the literal, I guess the literal translation of that Chinese of those symbols is "evil spirits make a big scene in little spiritual state." <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's funny. It's just like one of those things. Like, don't get that tattooed on you because you don't know for sure what it means. Get exactly. A, get a literal translation before you do. Yeah. Uh, now speaking, of, we don't have to talk about this completely in a, a totally linear fashion. I mean, no, we we tend to on this show. But I got to ask, do you have a favorite one-liner? Because since Jack has so many memorable lines. You know, I, I rewatched this movie uh, today, actually, in preparation. And there was something that he said, and I was like, I need to write that down. And then I didn't. And it's driving me nuts because I was like, oh, I'll remember that. That was, I just can't. I don't know. I don't have anything. I don't have anything written down for it. But I, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll come up with one as we get <laughs> I think my favorite, even though I use the reflexes line, is the son of a bitch must pay. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's it's just such a, I don't know, it's a natural Kurt Russell line. And, you know, it, it's funny. I think uh, Kurt Russell, for when he plays Snake Plissken, is doing his best, you know, quote unquote, Clint Eastwood. Yeah. In this movie, he is doing his best John Wayne. He's got the John Wayne enunciations, the the John Wayne's kind of swagger, you know, that all-American kind of guy. I, I think he's, you know, Jack Burton is kind of an emulation of John Wayne. 
Oh, totally. So, I mean, well, the you know, because it was originally written as a Western, I feel like he has like, like, like that's, I mean, they wanted Clint Eastwood to actually play the main character. The studio did. And I know. And Carpenter, you know, Carpenter kind of fought for, for Kurt Russell and then it ended up, you know, Eastwood ended up being busy anyway. So it ended up working out in their favor, but. Uh, but yeah, they they wanted to push the uh, push the Western vibe. So, you know, maybe that helped the inspiration for Jack Burton was, you know, a little John Wayne. Yeah. Now, I don't mind Clint Eastwood. I like him in some things, but I think he would have been a poor, poor choice for Jack Burton. He wouldn't have been nearly as fun. <laughs> no, no. It would have been more of a cur- curmudgeon kind of character is more more of the kind of bumbling aloof character that kurt russell plays and i love it you know usually you know i think one of the things i had read about this was john carpenter said you know a lot of people missed was that jack burton truly is the sidekick in this the the main character that the main hero is dennis dunn's character uh wang chi right they act they they said they had to go back through and they reshot the opening scene uh for Dennis to to de- to deliver a line, they changed a line where uh, Dennis calls uh, Jack a uh, uh, like a like an honorable guy or an, or a, like yeah, something along those lines uh, to make Jack more of the hero because the studio wanted Jack to be the main hero of the story despite the fact that Carpenter uh, Carpenter wrote it as both of them were like equal heroes in the story. Yeah, I, and. You know, I mean, they, Jack means well. I mean, he he's not maybe always doing things for the right reason, you know, but he's doing things. He, he is an honorable guy. He's there to help his friend. He's also there to get the money he owes him. Oh, because, for sure. You know, because if it starts off, you know, I mean, uh, after we get our introduction by Egg Shen and our introduction to Jack, uh, you know, Jack is playing checkers in a back alley with, with Wang. You kind of get the idea, even though they're introduced really quick, that these are old friends. But Jack is just like taking him to the cleaners. And I think if I remember right, I wrote it down. Yes, I did. That he owed him $1,048. That's a lot of money. Tw- times two. Yeah, especially if the- times, times two, two, he says. Yeah, because he tells him, yeah, <laughs> double it's or nothing. nothing. Yeah, double or nothing. And I love the bottle cutting scene. I'd like, I remember the first time I saw this, I saw it when it originally came out. So I was 10 years old. And I remember the anticipation of like, oh, this dude is going to cut that bottle in half. And when he like just basically ricochets it across the table and Jack just does show those cat-like reflexes and catches it. And of course, he's got the, you know, the line that repeats. And this is kind of like, uh, like with Snake Plissken in Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. They always say, I thought you were dead. You know, and this one is always, you know, it's all in the reflexes. And the man does have great reflexes. It, he doesn't have much of anything else going for him. He doesn't have fighting skills. He doesn't have coordination. Uh, he, he, but he does have a big truck, magnificent hair, and, and cat-like reflexes. And But I think we need to talk a little bit, though, about Dennis Dunn. Dennis Dunn is Wang. He He's really kind of, I mean, I mean, Jack might be the star of the movie. Kurt Russell is. But Dennis Dunn is really a, a great, you know, uh a great character or a great uh you know actor and he gives off so much energy in this role and he would you know again go to play this kind of a similar like character in prince of darkness it's just a i always felt it was a shame he didn't become a much bigger actor but right. 
I did read that they were pushing at the beginning to get Jackie Chan, that uh, John Carpenter wanted Jackie Chan, but like either, I can't remember now if Jackie was busy or if he refused to do it or something like that. No, they, he wanted Jackie Chan, but Jackie Chan's English at the time wasn't very good, and so that's why he didn't get the role. But uh, that's, at least, that's what I read today, was, uh, he was he was passed on the role. The studio passed on Jackie Chan because his English wasn't strong enough to hold him. And remember, in that era of Jackie Chan, too, a lot of his movies were dubbed in English. Yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. But yeah, yeah. this is right, right around the police story. And uh, yeah, it was, I think this is the police story era. Yeah, and I don't know how couple. true it is either, but I did read today, too, that Jackie Chan is in the... Uh, the fight sequence um, in the alleyway where the, I think the, like the Raiden, like lightning dude shows up for the first time, like that Jackie Chan's in that <laughs> uh, as an uncredited extra that he just came out and came in and hung out one day. But I tried to find like a screen grab of that and I couldn't find it. So I don't know how true it is. I've seen this movie so many times. I, I think I would have picked up on a Jackie Chan cameo, but unless they hit him really, really well. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, because I, I after I read that, I went back and rewatched the scene. I didn't see it, but doesn't mean it wasn't there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Now I gotta ask uh, for movie memories. You know, do you remember how old you were and when was the first time you saw Big Trouble Little China? Um, I I was young because I I mean you you know you were you know you said ten years old. I wasn't born when this movie came out. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't I mean, born I, I until the following myself. year. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think I saw this movie probably at least probably around the you know the age of ten. I think uh, for the first time with my grandfather. Um, he was a I don't know. He's just a big action movie kind of guy. Uh, especially at that time. And Kurt Russell was definitely like a staple in the family as far as, you know, Kurt Russell movies go. So, uh, yeah, I just remember being, I don't know. I just I immediately fell in love with it because I don't know. It just spoke to me. Like, I was just like, what is this movie? And I was a big Mortal Kombat fan. So uh, the Raiden looking guy, like totally like spoke to me, which I guess uh, inspired the character of Raiden in Mortal Kombat. Uh, at least the look. Yes, but. I remember reading some. Yeah, the the look inspired him in that they kind of modeled uh, Lo Pan or not Lo Pan, but uh, Shang Tsung after Lo Pan a little bit. Right. So yeah. I could see that for sure. Right. You can definitely see a little bit of Scorpion and a little bit of Sub Zero in there as well with the other uh, the other two elements because we got rain, thunder, and lightning. Right. And I got to say, we went to a a horror hound conventions when there were still horror conventions that you could go to live as as we are now in the pandemic. We still cannot go to many, many conventions, but we went to one, uh, my wife and I, and Peter Kwong, who plays Rain and Jane Pax, who plays Lightning, was there with song uh david lopan and they did a uh, like a q a a live panel that was just amazing and uh peter kwong is rain did a demonstration a martial arts demonstration to kind of like show his abilities and whatnot and tell you that guy still had some moves it was only about four years ago but it was an amazing thing to kind of behold that's pretty cool yeah i'm jealous of that yeah, and getting to see James Hong flirt with a with a, a girl and try to woo her by his his intense tap dancing skills. Now, this is a man that's got to be about. I'm not sure how old he is. He's got to be late 80s, you know, uh, mid to late 80s. 
you know, so to see him that, you know, pushing 90 and still like going out there and tap dancing, I was just like, you get it, my man. Come on. Lopan's got some moves. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> but that being said, we digress a little bit. We'll get back to the movie. Uh, so Jack is into, well, not Jack is into his, uh, uh, Dennis Dunn. Wang is into Jack for some money. $1,048 times two because he told him double or nothing. I can cut through this bottle, which did not work. So then he basically coerces Jack into like, hey, I don't have the money on me. Come back with me to the restaurant. You know, I'll get you your money. He's like, but we have to go pick someone up from the airport. And there is just the descent into madness that we get is the crazy. This is the craziest movie that that was ever rated PG-13 as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) This is like from that weird era, too, of of movies that I like. I don't know. They just like took Asian culture and went, we can just be as weird as we want with it because they didn't, they didn't quite understand it. <laughs> so they're just like, right. you know what? We can just go completely like everybody is magic and uh, there's some gang that's just going to steal this woman from the airport and we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> like we're just going to just going to follow it. The, the thing with the airport scene, there's a lot of things with the airport scene that stick out to me number one just being like we got to pick somebody from the airport like no big deal like that's a that's a whole hassle of a thing (laughs) i pick a lot of people up from the airport in the in the you know movie industry here uh that's 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 a big chore but first before we do that we got to go pick this girl up from the airport and then they just randomly meet the uh the other girl with green eyes uh what is her name yeah (laughs) Uh, kim cattrall kim cattrall A Gracie Law, a lawyer, a lawyer named Gracie Law. <laughs> right. And she just happens to be kind of involved in everything that's going on already. Like, I like that. I like that everybody in the story basically knows what's going on under Chinatown and like all the magic, except for Kurt Russell, like except for Jack Burton. He's the guy that's just left in the dark the whole time. Yeah. So everybody's just explaining things to him, which I guess he's the audience. He's he's our eyes into the world that is chinatown right right so like when the the lords of death the gang shows up to kidnap uh mao yen uh <laughs> I, I i think we're just we're like jack we're you know as the audience is we're completely clueless because like when you know they he kind of gets into a rough and tumble situation with the gang and when they they whip out their knives and stuff we're, we're just as confused as jack when he's just kind of like what where'd you get that like, where'd you pull that from? What's happening here? You know, he, he he is completely clueless as to what's really going on. And I I, I do love like what you, what you said, though. Kim Cattrall uh, is Gracie is in the middle of everything, even just so happens to just be at the same airport at the same terminal, picking up somebody from the same flight. I mean, it's amazingly coincidence, but she's in the middle of everything. Right. Yeah, and I I can't quite remember, but is the girl that she's picking up doesn't really have anything to do with the story, right? She's just there to pick somebody else up. Yeah, she was a refugee of some sort, but they never explain who she is. She didn't really have anything to do with uh, Lopan or the the gangs or whatnot. She was just a refugee. Yeah, and oh, they... okay, so yeah, and she's there because to pick her up because this has like kind of happened before. Right, like Lopan has been abducting, like the gang has been abducting people. Yes, uh, 
you know, constantly uh, kidnapping and abducting people for his. Uh, I guess like you would fresh say, to America. Questions. Yeah, right. Because he's like he's he's looking for the one for this woman with green eyes. And, and you know, like and like Jack would say later on in the movies, like you know, two thousand years, and you couldn't find one girl to fit the bill. We couldn't find one girl with green eyes. You know, I I feel like that's maybe not necessarily a plot hole, but a funny plot device. I think. Well, I mean, an Asian girl with green eyes is probably pretty difficult to come by, and even the even the the, the lady at the brothel or like says something like Chinese girl Chinese girls don't have green eyes or something like that. So, right. You know, maybe difficult for him to come by. <laughs> yeah, and then well, we we get in a car chase with the with the Trans Am and the Pork Chop Express, and we all know a Trans Am is going to outrun an eighteen wheeler. It's just not going to ha- going to happen. But you know, uh, Wang knows where they're going. He he knows once they they kidnap kidnap Miao Yin, and I'm probably mispronouncing the name, so forgive me, folks. I'm horrible with names. But, uh, you know, they, they travel deep to within Chinatown and they happen upon a, pu- a funeral p- procession that quickly turns into a multi, a multi-turf gang fight, uh, basically, at the end, you know, when the, the their mortal enemies show up. I forgot the, the, the gang's names. I did not write them down. But, uh, you know, these two gangs are facing off and we got a couple legendary uh, character actors in here. We got... Al Young is the henchman extraordinaire. He's in everything from playing Genghis Khan in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure to the Hershey's candy bar eating henchman and Die Hard and amongst others. Right. And I will not try pronouncing any more names from here on out. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to mess all these up. Yes. But Al Leong. Leong. Yeah. It might be. I'm it. not sure. I I'm don't horrible know. with names. Yes. But yeah, the, the the funeral procession that turns into a massacre, turf war, goes from. I, I like the fact that it starts off with a bunch of uh, you know uh, gunfire and whatnot, you know, a shootout. But then when they run out of guns, they don't just simply reload and keep firing at each other. They go to hand to hand combat, and it, you right. know, it, it's some the, really great fight choreography. The, you know, knowing that it was originally a western totally like makes this make more sense too for me, like. Cause you have like these guys with guns. I don't know. Like the dude with the, he's got literally guns holstered on both sides and he looks like, you know, they're stepping out into the street, you know, and doing that old, it's the old Western shootout is kind of how it plays out at first. And, uh, you know, but they're like, let's add machine guns into it too. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very much like a, um, like a fistful of dollars, you know, when the games, yeah. you know, st- stage their fight in the middle of the street. I, I, yeah, and you can definitely see all the uh, the Western overtones that were still left over when they kind of retooled the script, which I like it. I, I, I like the the Western. I overtones. like it too. Uh, I got uh, I got to find. Uh, there's a quote from John Carpenter that's really funny, uh, where he says that uh, when it was during the uh, during some kind of press circuit, he described the movie as an action adventure comedy kung fu ghost story monster movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about being like multifaceted and multi-themed right yeah the, i love i love any movie that can not adhere to one genre you know if it is like a multifaceted genre movie yeah i'm all about that definitely but, 
Yeah, it makes me wonder like how this would have been if it had been a full fledged western, but we'll never know. But right. Yeah. Well, they they said that they because the movie was so wacky, they decided to at least ground the 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 location and time frame to something that you could hold on to to go, you know, okay, this is you know modern America for the time, but like modern America, you know, Chinatown, like that was the only way that they felt like they could ground the wackiness that was the story instead of keep if, if it had been a western if they thought it might it would have been too far removed from audiences which they could have, i mean which totally i mean i could i could definitely see that yeah i could see that but yeah with this fight scene we get them enter thunder rain and lightning three guys that <laughs> are bad motherfuckers and definitely influenced a whole lot of mortal combat whole lot of mortal combat and, like, I love that Jack is just cannot believe what he's seen. At this point, uh, Wang can't really figure out what... He, I mean, he knows what he's seeing, but at the same time, I think he's, uh, at first, kind of is denying it to, to himself, you know? Because he's just, like, when he sees, like... Well, for instance, you know, when uh, the, the three elements pass and uh, Jack drives past them all, and you're like, you know, we got to get out of here, so he drives past them, and there's Lopan. Think that's the moment when uh, Wang realizes they are in some deep ass trouble. And James Hong is Lopan. What an amazing character actor. Man with over four hundred and like forty acting credits to his resume. I mean, holy shit, does the man sleep? Right. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's you know, you say uh, you know, Danny Treos and everything, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're like <laughs> you know we got uh he's yeah, in he, so he's, much stuff, yeah. man. Where I just lost his page. Yeah. He's in so much stuff it blows my mind. Cause I, I, I see him on like TV, I see him in movies. Uh is he in now I gotta look it up. Is he in Mortal Kombat? <laughs> I don't think so. No. He might have been. I know he was in Blade Runner. He he was in all the Kung Fu pandas and the mantas, but this is everything. I think you could throw a quarter anywhere in Hollywood and hit a movie set that he's been on. Oh, for sure. For sure. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to find out that if he was in at least one of the Mortal Kombat, since there's been a couple of them. So I, I can't say for sure, no, but yeah, I, I would almost bet money that. No, but he's just, he's in so much stuff. His voice is so iconic too. You can recognize his voice in anything whenever he's like a character in like, cause he's, he's been in so much TV. Like he's in star Wars rebels, which I've been watching here recently. Uh, he's yeah. He's in so much stuff. I'm just like, now I'm just like scrolling through his IMDb, just <laughs> blown away even more so than what I already was. Because every time I hear his voice, I'm always like, I know that guy. Like He's in the new Batman animated movie, Soul of the Dragon, which is probably the newest thing he's in. But uh, Well, like I had underestimated, like before I started looking looking him up and doing a little study, and I'm thinking, oh, he's probably been in at least two or 300 movies. No, 440 over the course of like what since the mid 60s i think his career started or like late 50s but yeah i mean he he's just been a, a working fool man that guy is always doing something it makes me think i'm, I'm makes me not think makes me know i am just lazy when it comes to work <laughs> <laughs> well you know but yeah you also, those guys that are just also in the actors. golden child but also, also in the golden, in the golden child yes nice 
a lot of lot of, lot of uh, crossover stuff going on there with between him and Victor Wong. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, at the time, too, uh, you know, Asian actors were probably pretty limited as far as, you know, you had two movies that were taking place in, uh, you know, two American films taking place in Chinatown. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. For 1986, there was a for lot of crossover. Yeah, for sure. Poor Jack. Sense. He doesn't know what the hell's going on here. He drives straight through. uh I was almost going to say, he drives straight through Egg Shen, but no, not Egg Shen. Uh, he drives straight through Lopan. And I love, like, the reaction that Lopan has to him is just to breathe this, like, intense light. It, you know, again, you know, there's so much supernatural shit going on in this movie. I think they just threw everything at the wall and said, let's see what sticks. But he temporarily blinds Jack, which only lasts for about five seconds. And a splash of water from a mud puddle that I would not want shit, like, you know, in the middle of a, like an alleyway in Chinatown, a mud puddle in the street. I would not want that shit being splashed into my face, especially not my <laughs> eyes. Right. It, it can't. It couldn't be. It couldn't be a good thing. No, but, definitely not. But yeah, what a legend, James Hong. He you know four hundred and forty projects. I could, just can't get past that. But you know, with the little uh, cat and mouse, the. Jack and Wang get away. You know they're running all over the place. They held up with the the good the good guys of the gang. I can't remember the gang members' names, the gang's names. I can't remember, and I didn't write it down. So forgive me for that one. But uh, they found out that uh, Miao Yang was taken to the White Tigers, which was a a brothel to sell. The basically you know the Lords of Death sold. So uh, we're going to sell her to the highest bidder. So what do they use? They use Jack as an infiltrator. And when he comes off with this geeky character with horn room glasses and a horrible plaid jacket, he calls himself Harry Swanson. And I had to make uh, a note. Uh, I thought I recognized the outfit because it looked like, a, you know what I mean? Like an outfit that I had seen Kurt Russell wear before. But I hadn't seen the movie in so long. Uh, not Big Trouble Little China, which I see at least once once or twice a year. But it's an outfit that Kurt Russell wore in a comedy from a few years before called Used Cars. Where he was a used car salesman. So, again, kind of using old wardrobe over and over again. I just kind of like that reference. Yeah, it's funny. And I think it probably helps him with the character, too. Like this, this geeky, like... I don't know this guy. This guy that he plays, where he, like in this brothel, just cracks me up. And he he couldn't be more on the nose. Like, you got any any girls with green eyes? Like, like, uh, like he couldn't be know. more obvious. Could yeah, it could be more obvious to what he's what he's going for here. Uh, which is, yeah, which the whole brothel's crazy. Like the trap door, like the secret hallways. Uh, <laughs> like, what are they doing with her anyway? Why is she at this brothel? Like, she's supposed to be getting ready for the wedding, right? <laughs> well, I think that's what we're led to believe. But then the, the the elements, you know, the three elements show up and kidnap her from the brothel. So okay. I kind of think the Lords of Death had meant to, I, I don't know. That, that's a little confusing so, right there. Okay, so, so yeah. So Lopan didn't kidnap her from the, from the airport. The gang did, and then he kidnapped her from the gang. Is that is that is that where we're coming from here now? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what I think we're supposed to be led to believe. If you you can suspend your disbelief to believe that there's black magic arts going on, I I think we can believe that, right? Sure. sure why not? 
It's a movie, the movie you know? So, the movie's so wacky that, like, you can't get caught up in, in like, continuity, I feel like, as far as the story goes, only because as soon as you think you know what's going on, it just takes a left turn anyway. Because the whole roof rips open, and she gets, like, you know, like, the, the lightning dude shows up, and... Right, like, right. And Jack is still doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, he just can't, constantly keeps getting, like, thrown across the room and bounces off of furniture and shit and gets, like, halfway knocked out all the time. And it, just so he can constantly turn to somebody else who is more well-informed to him and ask him what the hell is going on. Because if he says it once, he says it 20 times in his movie. He's like, just tell me what the hell's going on. I mean, even at one point, uh, a little bit later in the film, when him and uh, when Jack and Wang are kind of held captive together, and he's like, well, I don't want to insult you, Jack. He's like, no, 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 go ahead. I- insult me, please. He's, he's like, just let me know what the hell's going on here so I, I don't feel so goddamn stupid, you know? Right. The movie is constantly, I think the, the only, like the only downside or the only, the only negative thing I really have to say with the movie is that sometimes it feels the need to try and explain to you what's going on when it should probably just give up. <laughs> Cause it's always like, like Jack's always like, what's going on? And they're like, well, she was taken by this gang. And then somebody's like, you mean the most, the most ruthless gang of Chinatown that, is involved in this scheme and that scheme and this thing and that stuff. And you're like, yeah, that's those guys. <laughs> and like, we don't need all that. They're just taken from this. Leave it at that. Yeah. Move they were on. taken by a gang. We don't need to know that they're the most ruthless, ruthless gang or what they're into because they're not going to last long enough. They're, you know? Right. But I, I love how wonderfully aloof uh, Jack is, you know, and it's not what you usually get from, one, a character that, you know, Kurt Russell usually plays or one from like, you know, the, you know, the 80s where the, where the main character is kind of, you know, an action hero that is totally aloof and just kind of bumbling his way through everything. You know, he's faking his bravado. I think, you know, he uh, the Jack Burton character and Ash Williams from Evil Dead that Bruce Campbell plays have a lot in common. Oh, for sure. And Definitely. can, can they you both, they're, imagine they're both not heroes? They're both kind of assholes. Oh, totally. <laughs> do, do, well, I don't know. If you buddy cop them together, I feel like they might they might butt heads a little too much of who gets to lead. <laughs> <laughs> there could be some fun shit in that. There could be, or at least in a, a buddy cop movie with just Bruce Campbell and Kurt Russell in it together. I, if I you know, why couldn't we be born rich instead of good looking? Huh? You know, we can <laughs> fun movies like that. Totally. I've been asked before if I hit the lottery, won a hundred million dollars, what would you do? And I'm like, I would uh, contact John Carpenter and have him fund a third Snake Plissken film, whatever yeah. it would cost. Be like, what? Does it mean, it's going to cost thirty million. Okay, here's forty. Do it right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, the dream within a dream. <clears throat> But yeah, the Harry Swanson or AKA Jack doesn't get the girl this time. The storm, the lightning shows up, foils his plans. And now they're, you know, it seems like they keep rendezvousing at uh, Wang's and his uh, uncle's uh, restaurant. They always a rendezvous there. You know, they decide that like they, they always got somewhat of an insider, you know, because they got the, the Margot character, the reporter. Right. And they got uh, Eddie Lee. Uh, which is, uh, I think he's a lawyer. He's a lawyer too, isn't he? Wasn't Eddie Lee supposed to be a lawyer? I think so. Everybody's a, a, a lawyer or a restaurateur in this movie. I get mixed up. <laughs> but, you know, they they got the information that they're, 
they took Mao Yang to the Wing Kong Exchange, which is owned and ran by Lopan. And this is where we kind of get like, you know, we start getting a little bit of the story because Wang says in front of his uncle, you know, Lopan, well, uh, Jack says in front of the uncle that Lopan was there. And the uncle like freaks out over it because, you know, he is a little older and a little bit more older fashioned, And he believes in these old wives tales of uh, the Lopan that was defeated by the first emperor of China and then uh, cursed to have to be a body of no flesh to just kind of live in the spirit world, which is a hell of a thing to, to, to do to somebody. So when you think about it, there is a dark underlying theme to this. This poor guy, like when they finally run into the real Lopan, who is just a shriveled up old man in a wheelchair, which the makeup still looks great because we all know what like James Hong looked like in this movie without you know, all the old age makeup on. I thought the old age makeup really uh, still held up pretty well. It holds up and it's super creepy. And if you just look at like uh, Kurt Russell's face the whole time, like his reaction to Lopan's face is great. <laughs> like if you just watch his face the whole time, you could just see how disgusted he is. He's just like looking at him in disbelief. Like, no way you're this godfather that they all speak of. Yeah, you are not the same guy that I that I you know ran my truck through and that you blinded me and everything like the same guy, ten foot tall dude. You know, not, not the same guy, right? But yeah. when they tried to infiltrate the Wing Kong Wing Kong Exchange, they really like this is one of the uh, the, the points of like I was going to say they infiltrate it awfully easy. They just kind of walk in. Talking. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Just, just, just walking right past the security and just like, oh, where's the junction box? In through here, and they just let them go by, and just they just infiltrate. It was the like 80s. Not, yeah, it was the eighties. You know, it was going to say lots of cocaine, lots of cocaine. Well, in the it's it's. I write it off as like it's pre nine eleven. You know what I mean? Yeah. Pre pre nine eleven, there was yeah, no no security in anywhere anything. You know what I mean? Nine eleven changed changed the way that America viewed security, and uh, I think that this is just something at the time that people. I think you could probably could have done that, despite how well, ridiculous it seems. <laughs> well, you probably could have because most. I mean, like at least in like movies and movie tropes, it was security guards were no, known as people that were usually uh, pretty aloof and just you know are always like watching porn or watching television or something like that instead of like right. watching the security cameras you know so yeah it was it was a little bit of the the pre 911 days but yep it was the 80s what a wonderful time it was when you could just infiltrate any like high security place on a whim totally no but problem i love <laughs> the elevator trap this is one of the more the more horrific scenes is when it like they get caught up in the elevator they're trying to go down and it fills with water because I have a kind of a claustrophobia kind of a thing with like when I see scenes, you know, when there people are in a room and they're filled and they start getting filled with water. It makes me feel very uh, edgy. You know, it's like, I know, yeah. you know, it's just make believe it's a movie. But when they fill that elevator with water and they open the elevator up and they swim out and all those bodies are just kind of submerged in this seawater that are coming from the bay through San Francisco and. It's some really great makeup and some really creepy stuff. It kind of gave me like a like the end of Poltergeist kind of vibe with the bodies. 
Oh, totally. Like this is when you like this is the, your kind of your first shot in the movie where you go, oh, right. This is John Carpenter. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, because up until this, you know, there's not really much of a horror element to this. And then this is the moment where you're like, oh, right. This is a John Carpenter movie and things are going to get even more crazy. <laughs> yeah, things are going to get even more weird. But uh, yeah, know, I forget where... what he calls it, too, because he's like he's like, what is this? And then uh uh, he's, he calls it like the upside down room or like he knows exactly what it is, which is kind of like, a, just a weird thing for me, but I forget, I forget what he called it. I didn't write it down. Should have wrote it down. Uh, I, I should have wrote it down too. The fact that I got three pages of notes and I didn't write that down says something, yeah, <laughs> but then we get a little bit of an interrogation scene. I think it was, uh, rain is interrogating, uh, them before Lopan shows up. And you basically get, you know, uh, the this, this, this scene of exposition where you find out what Lopan wants and what he's up to. He's looking for a green-eyed bride for the last 2,000 years that must appease the demon god to lift the curse on him, you know, to, so he can rule from beyond the grave. It's flesh and blood. He wants to be mortal again. He doesn't want to live in kind of the spiritual realm. He wants, you know, he wants to be flesh and blood, which... I could understand it. It would be kind of a, a hellish existence for poor little Pan. But uh, they take, you know, Jack, like, I like when he's just looking at him when, you know, and he's like, you know, you're going to rule from beyond the grave, right? And, you know, he's like, indeed. And he leans in. He's like, or you could check into a psycho ward, whichever one comes first, right? He's like, am I supposed <laughs> to believe this shit? Or when he leans in close to Lopan, he's like, are you crazy? Are you insane? Is that what your problem is? Like, because he don't believe any of it. Even Wang is trying to tell him what's going on. <laughs> he don't buy right. any of it. No, and, and who would? And that, that's where I feel like he just plays more like to the audience. Like, and that's why he's like relatable character. I feel like is because even the audience is like bullshit. <laughs> Call you a whole I, lot of bullshit. I don't buy into any of this. This is all ridiculous, and that's what it's like. You know, that's the that's the charm of the whole thing. Yeah, God, yeah. It, well, that yeah, makeup is so like crazy. Is I actually, I just like pulled up the the shots of him in that makeup, and he's so so good. It looks so good. Yeah, it's ah. pretty seamless. It's some pretty great effects. Yeah, it's definitely just like the most ancient of a human being. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of what you imagine, you know, someone who's almost been mummified kind of looks like. Right. But uh, this is when we got the, the, the next scene or the scene close right after this is one of my favorites is when uh, Jack and Wang are, are they're held hostage in a room. They're tied down to a couple of we wheelchairs. Jack manages to get free, you know, and Thunder comes in where he brings in, oh, because Margot, uh, Grace, and, oh, what's his name? Eddie Lee got taken taken advantage of, or not taken advantage of, got taken hostage, you know, trying to infiltrate his backup, you know, so they didn't they didn't do very well. They ended up getting taken hostage, so he, he's bringing in Eddie Lee, and Jack rushes him and does nothing to him. You know, he just bounces him right off, off of his back, you know, no problems whatsoever. So what does Jack do? The same thing again. He just jumps on his back, presses a knife to his chest. And like this where he starts puffing out his chest. You know, for a guy that was Thunder, I, I thought he needed another name. I, I, I just, I, I didn't know what this trick was that he was supposed to be doing where he just inflates his chest and, and 
blows Jack backwards off of him. He falls back into the wheelchair, falls down this long, <laughs> this long corridor, just screaming comically. And, you know, the, the whole idea that he's sitting there teetering over the edge over this abyss, you know, going to fall over in his wheelchair. It, it, it's, it's just comical. It is just great. Yeah, the uh, the giant like expanding of his like chest and like I don't, every time that scene's like I, I see that scene, I'm always like, is he does he get larger? <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I I'm, now I'm now I'm, you've got me. I've pulled up the movie now and I'm just like watching it as we're talking about it, so I'm skimming back through things because <laughs> his seams of his of the uh, of the suit that he's wearing like kind of like rip and tear like he's just like gets giant i love it i love right. it so much yeah and it would come into play a little bit towards the end but we will get to that in a little bit uh yeah his power kind of be it becomes a a, a a fault um you know almost well not almost it does but, <laughs> and there's this comical hijinks from here on out they they manage this to you know to try to escape a little bit again. Jack can't figure out his little submachine gun because he can't figure out how to take the safety off. And then he, the one time he, one of the few times he takes somebody out, he actually takes somebody out to help Wang. And I love how, like, the first time you ever plug somebody and he's just like, puffs his chest out. Of course, of not, course, which not. is such a lie. Such a lie. But it's like, I, it's such a funny thing to like brag about, I feel like. And I don't know if that's the, uh, uh, I don't know, like 80s macho action guy or whatever, but just like the first time you plug somebody, of course not. Like, so I, I commit murder all the time. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to brag. What do you mean? I, I, the first time I killed somebody, I once shot a man in Rito just to watch him die. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I love when they're, they figure out that Margot and uh, Eddie Lee and Grace are kidnapped so they get into another lower level of this like ever expanding abyss that's this compound that's underneath Chinatown. And I love like <laughs> as the action is going on when Eddie Lee and Wang are fighting the the female guards and Jack is crawling across these cages where they're they had a bunch of women, bunch of they're probably just being uh they're you know this it's human trafficking they got going on here. Let's just face it. That's what it is. But when he's like climbing across it and he sees Margot and she just asks him, how are you going to spring us? And he's like, I have no idea. And we really know that he has no idea because he's winging it the entire time. That's the oh, yeah. beautiful thing about Jack. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole movie is them winging it through and through. They have no idea where they're going, where these people are, but they luckily stumble across it the whole time. Right. They're, just, they're always, it feels very much like a video game, at, the, at least during this section of the movie. Like they're kind of going from level to level and definitely. defeating different levels of bosses. Because there's a part when they, they escape a little bit, they get go through the underwater portion and they swim through the sewer and they get to another, you know, level. It's really kind of like ambiguous to what it is. But I love he like when Jack has his plan, he's like, all right, we're going to open this door. He's like, we're going to charge through here. He's like, you just all stay right behind me and everything's going to be all right. He opens it up. There's a dozen guards there. He just slams it closed and like, we may be trapped. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is where I wrote down like Wang takes out the entire boss level before before Jack can do anything because his guns run out of bullets at this point. Wang is like just 
kung fuing everybody in the scene. Jack jumps out with his empty gun and a knife, doing a ha, and there's nobody left. <laughs> it's very comical because once again, Wang saves the day, and Jack is just kind of along there. for the ride. He's just along yeah. for the ride. And once again, everybody escapes. But what happens? Gracie gets kidnapped again. So this makes like three kidnappings in one day for her. She yeah. is trouble. She is nothing but trouble. Right. Uh, the, but she's not just kidnapped, right? She's kidnapped by like a monster. Yeah, it's a beast that takes her. That takes her. And this is the note I have. And you'll have to forgive me for saying it like this. But the note I wrote down: Gracie is kidnapped by a beast that looks like Bigfoot, face fucked, rawhead Rex. um this part of the movie is uh, is a part that i always i feel like forget about like i forget about this monster and every time i see it i'm always like oh yeah this movie has a crazy monster in it it has a few different crazy monsters in it but um this one always kind of reminded me of an uglier version of like uh, what is it, Toka or Razor? I can't remember which. It's probably, I think it's Toka of uh, Ninja Turtles Two: Secret of the Use. The oh, Razor, looking, yeah, the werewolf-looking one. Uh, yeah, I think that's Razor. I think, yeah. yeah. But it, just kind of like a like a ugly like like stepchild of that, <laughs> or like like. <laughs> like but um, but yeah, the, yeah. The, the moment that that monster appears though, just make just takes the the craziness of the movie to a different level. It's like. Oh, we're this deep into Chinatown that now we have like some weird Bigfoot looking monsters. Yeah, so it looks like a Bigfoot and like Tasmanian devil had a baby. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's a uh, just a super nasty, super ugly. She doesn't seem to be faced by it all that much outside of like an initial scream, but then just like gets carried away by it. That's fine. Yeah. And nobody notices that, you know, everybody else has ran out to the the, the waiting bus. Egg Shen is there, you know, Jack's there. Right, they're just like, oh, oh the where'd she are, go? <laughs> like, oh, where's Gracie? Like, you know, and this is like, nobody saw her. <laughs> and, or nobody, like, didn't see her. Didn't, like, right. kind of notice that they left her behind. But I don't know. <laughs> Again, suspension of Disney, folks. It's a, it's, it's a fun ride, but sometimes you just got to turn your brain off just a tiny bit. But oh, then we get I mean, the uh, you gotta turn your brain off a lot for this movie. This movie is just yeah, it's a very outlandish. Like every time they like n- like when they get back to the office, or if you want to call it an office, their headquarters, the good guys, whatever, and he's just like yeah. sharpening his blade. Oh, that's the restaurant or whatever. They're sharpening his blade, talking with uh, the reporter, and the tone and everything just completely shifts back into like, all right, this is normal life, and then. Um, when the gang, the like gang shows back up and he pulled, he draws the gun. And they're talking about, you know, we're going to go back in. We're going to do this. We're going to get Gracie. And it's that's I think the tonal shift here is, uh, I don't know. It's like a, it's a pause for like, all right, let's ground you guys. We, uh, we just experienced some shit. We saw a bunch right. of lightning, lightning dudes, giant monsters. We're going to just, you know, come back to the restaurant and let you at the audience just, kind of breathe for a minute before we dive back into the next level. Like, right. let's go back into a different boss fight here. <laughs> well, yeah, when the gang shows up, I mean, and even the girls uh, that were like slaves and captives, they freak out, but they kind of, you know, they're 
told to calm down because this, you know, these are the friends. These are the good guys. Right. And and I love it when Egg Shen shows up with them and he's like, "How about guns? Anybody got guns?" And he whips out that <laughs> gun. He's like, "It's like nothing to help against Lo Pan, but I'll give you this and make you feel like Dirty Harry." And he's like, "No, nah, no, nah, it's okay. Yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm good." And they kind of intercut between it's uh not weird editing editing but it kind of jumps back and forth between um gracie and meow yang being putting through the uh the test of the burning blade where they have to tame the savage heart of the burning blade and between that and egg shen and his group with jack and wang you know infiltrating underneath uh chinatown which underneath Chinatown doesn't really look much like the sewer that you would think, you know, would be underneath uh, San Francisco. It kind of looks like a, a dungeon from like Bride of Frankenstein, more or less. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the deeper they get, like each level, like even where that monster was at, where that, that captured Gracie, like the, the deeper they get underground, the more like ancient it all becomes. Yeah, and I kind of like the story as like, as Aik Shen is telling it, as they're kind of going deeper from one level to the next, and that one monster comes out. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a movie called Devilfish. It's an Italian flick from the mid-'80s. No. It only came out about two years before this. We we reviewed it on a, a, a previous uh, show of ours called Takeout Edition. <laughs> but that's where the monster pops out and just eats one of the, the gang members and just chews them right up before Aik Shen throws uh, one of the bombs from his... Uh, Six demon bag. I love the six demon bag. That that thing's filled with all sorts of goodies. But that's why. But like the monster from Devilfish uh, comes in and eats one of the gang. Now, when this show's over, I, I suggest you go and Google Devilfish, and see if you can find pictures of the monster, and then come back and tell me if that monster didn't look the same. Like I almost feel like this movie company, one of the movie companies doing the effects, must have had a leftover monster from that. It's spit an image. But like right, but he but when they when he, uh, like he comes out, he eats a member of the gang, and then, uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, Egg Shen. Egg Shen like throws like that like I don't know colorful explosion into the hole, and he's like, "Be gone! The monster will not come again." And Jack's like. What the fuck? <laughs> what is that? Wait, you're like, what? What's not gonna come out no more? What do you mean? Right. I love yeah. that so much. Like he's just like, ignore that giant monster. Just, just we don't. You know, just who just, cares? Like that's just normal life fine. here. Normal, it's gonna every, be fine. It's everyday stuff, Jack. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, we've been dealing with this stuff for thousands of years. <laughs> right. But Jack's been dealing with it for like 15 minutes. You know. But, uh, <coughs> excuse me, but yeah, yeah, that, that's a great exchange. What's going to come out no more. But then the next little kind of monstrous thing again, that kind of lets you reminds you that the, yes, this is a John Carpenter movie is that thing, that floating guardian eyeball with like the mouth that opens up that has eyes in it. That's yeah. Like, that, that thing's also super weird and creepy and is another like, just like, oh yeah, this is this movie's gonna get there. It's gonna go weird. I always forget about that thing too. <laughs> right, I usually forget about it until it pops up and it's like, oh yeah, we got this thing. Yeah, but it, but this is the point when I said awfully convenient and a good thing that Lopan had a bar in the middle of his uh, his compound so that they could divvy out that secret potion that they all take. Yeah, that they all take, 
And I love, but I love, I, I think it's a kind of, I don't know. It's a little weird, like the whole like description of the potion, they did drink it, whatever. But I love the sequence that follows where they're all in the uh, elevator and they're like, I feel good. Yeah. I got, I got, like, yeah. I, I feel pretty good about what we're about to do. Like, I got a lot of confidence here. Like, yeah, like, like I feel pretty, uh, pretty invincible. <laughs> and then it's like, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> Uh, side note on like on that or on that note, not side note, but on that note, uh, apparently Kurt Russell was really sick during the filming of this and he had, he was running really high fevers. So, uh, all of the sweat that you see on him is real. <laughs> really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I, at least I read that today, whether or not it's true or not. I don't know. Something you I, know, I, though, I, I, I read a bunch s- of fun facts today. I do seem to re- recall that. I do now. Now, now that you mention it, it's uh, rattling around in the old uh, brain pan here. I do seem to remember something about that in the uh, the Blu-ray commentary. They had mentioned that it was okay. either John Carpenter or Kurt Russell. But so it does. I don't remember the exact details of it. But yeah, yeah, I do seem to recall that. But yeah, that would that would explain why he 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 looked like hell in a handbasket. <laughs> right. There's a yeah. There's a good chunk of filming, especially a lot of the uh, the final scenes. I guess he was really sick, and uh, uh, yeah, they like him being all sweaty for the majority of this movie is because he was running really high fevers. But I think that was it was in the, there's a book. Uh, there's a big trouble. Or the official big trouble in Little China. Uh, behind-the-scenes book uh, that came out, and I would love to get my hands on one, but like they literally like don't print them anymore. So if you want one, you got to pay like five hundred bucks on eBay. But uh, <laughs> but apparently, I think it's in it's written in that. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's a shame that when they put those things out in such limited editions, because then it makes makes it really difficult for collectors like ourselves to be able to get something like that and not break the bank. You know what I mean? Right. But. But know. you know, maybe uh, one day. I, I said, I, I yeah, maybe one day we'll be you know filthy rich enough. Well, <laughs> to I just, be able to I'm, I'm the kind of person that is, uh, you know, I'm 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 hopeful that you know I'll find it at a yard sale somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will not know what they had. Like, ooh, look what I found at the thrift store. Exactly. That's because I'm a comic book collector, so I'm always on the look for for that kind of stuff. Nice, nice. But you know what I want to collect or what I want to get get one of, but I don't know if you can find them at a thrift store. I want one of those six demon bags because I don't know what the hell is in those, but I think I need one. I, I, yeah. I, you, yeah. <laughs> but the final battle. Oh, okay, we're getting down into like the final part part of like Act Three here, and you know we're getting into the final battle. Uh, you know, or in the final ceremony where um, Lopan's plan is to marry both Gracie and Mao Ying because they both got green eyes. And he's like, why the hell not? Because to appease the the God, he has to marry the girl with green eyes, but to appease the spirit of the emperor, he has to kill her. So now that he has, you know, that's kind of the, the little little secret thing he's got going on. So if he, he keeps one and kills the other, so, He's got an evil little plan, more evil of a plan than they even thought of at the beginning. But he's going <laughs> through, you know, he, the, the, Jack keeps even saying this is too easy. You know, like there, there's nobody around. Where's everybody at? You know, like, you know, and they keep telling him, Aikshan keeps telling him and Wang keeps telling him. 
they're there celebrating the wedding. Everybody's going to be in attendance. But still, he is right. It is a little too easy. When they get there for the, the main battle, they wait for him to take a... What was it called? The Needle of Love? Is that what... Uh, Something like that. The needle that if the, the girl takes uh, being stuck with the needle and doesn't die, it will transfer his, the, her life force to him so that he becomes flesh and blood. And they're getting ready to pounce, but, you know, Aikshen keeps telling him, you gotta wait, you gotta wait for him to become flesh and blood, that way he's, you know, vulnerable. So what happens, we get another scene like our big uh, massacre at the, towards the beginning of the movie that was in the, the back alleys of Chinatown. And everybody's, you know, lets out their war cry, Jack lets out his war cry, fires his gun into the air, takes out a chunk of ceiling that knocks him right the fuck out. It's just comical. It's it's so great and like i really think kurt russell sells it he sells that like overzealous hero type that's just you know he's comical much like i said like a said kind of like an ash williams from evil dead but whose overzealousness gets him into trouble more more than once yeah he's you know we're we're constantly reminded throughout the film that he's not necessarily the hero and that wang is the guy who's really going to kick everybody's ass (laughs) Like, right. He like Wang is like literally flying through the air with swords and like jumping through the air, like flipping like multiple times, like just doing all these somersaults, all this stuff. And Jack, like, you know, can barely walk across the room. (laughs) Right. Well, like when Jack does wake up after being knocked out for like five minutes, he he gets the one guy that was getting ready to pounce on him with the sword, the guy in the, the armor. And he pushes the knife through, you know, his boot sheath impales him on him but then the guy falls on jack and jack can't roll him off so he spends a good portion of the fight just pinned to the <laughs> ground just like god damn it get the guy <laughs> off me. it's great and really with any other kind of character and any other kind of movie this would not work it's just a re- really rare occurrence where this kind of thing works and i think it works really well but again, you know, that's part of that uh, that genius of uh, Carpenter and Russell putting their minds together. I think they just jive. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself by saying the word jive, but they just jive together really well. <laughs> they do. And, you know, and that happens a lot with, you know, directors and actors where, you know, you know, a director and an actor will just click and then they'll just like knock like three or four movies out together because they just they vibe really well. Yeah. But yeah, this final battle, it's kind of all over the place. And not in a bad way, but I mean, everybody's fighting, you know, they got the two gangs are fighting, Lopan's gang and Nate Shen's gang. We got Wang versus the, the rain element. We get Jack gets fallen on by the guard. And then we got some Egg Shen versus Lopan. And I love the shots back and forth between them where they're using their kind of amulets, I guess, to project an image of themselves, like a, a like a, a a samurai kind of like a, I almost a digital version of themselves, but an optical version of themselves that would fight in the air in front of them. I've never seen anything like that before. That right. was great. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I feel like, I don't know if like comic booky, like, or like even video game kind of, well, maybe, I don't know this. It's, it's hard to say. Cause this movie inspired so many other things, uh, that, you know, my, my, when I think of it, I always think, you know, like I look at Big Trouble in China, I'm like, oh, you know, they, they were inspired by this, this and this. And I'm like, well, maybe actually that, that and that were inspired by this. <laughs> uh, like right. with Mortal Kombat, I always thought, you know, that, you know, like the the 
three like elemental characters uh, were inspired by Raiden in Mortal Kombat. And then, you know, but, you know, it's the other way around. And I had no idea. Yeah, the timeline of things, it just. Yeah. So, yeah, using their yeah. like these, uh, I guess we want to call them like avatars uh, to battle each that's, other. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you very much. That's the word I couldn't think of. But it's a great little scene. Everybody, everybody's fighting, and then Wang actually takes Rain out pretty e- easily. I mean, not like easily. They fight tooth and nail for a while, but like he takes out the first element like like that, you know? Uh, right. Jack, you know, is, I, I do, didn't make a note. Jack spends the rest of the fight from here on out wearing Gracie's lipstick all over his his mouth, his face, and his teeth. Like they they kiss before, while they're in the elevator going down the low pans, like, uh, you know, inner compound and she kisses well they kiss each other but like like he's got it all over his face his right mouth, like, and, and his teeth and he i love him playing off playing it off as if he's uh you know he's got all this swagger in the world he's got this john wayne swagger but he's just smeared with lipstick like all up in his grill yeah i like i like that decision a lot i think it just it brings an element of comedy into this final like like showdown that is it's just a visual gag, but it sells so well and you you buy into it really easily with like Kurt Russell just sells it like I, right. I, I love it so much. But can we bring it back just a quick a uh, quick note before they get into the oh, elevator, course. they get jumped by that monster. And is it me or just, <laughs> he just like like he gets he gets the, the monster like grabs him like from behind. He freaks out and just literally like just pushes him over and then they get in the elevator like the, this thing. Well, uh, Gracie kicks him into junk. Oh, is that what happens? She kicks him. She kicks him from behind. I think she either kicks him uh, the, the beast either in the, in the, in the ass or she kicks him. Like, I think she's meant to like kick him in the junk from behind. And that's what, when the beast kind of goes a little nuts and then Jack pushes him over. <laughs> yeah. But you were, you know, talking about how like, you know, he, the, uh, the rain guy falls, you know, pretty easily. I was like, well, so is a monster character. I think all there's so many ridiculous like villains that it's just like, you know, just got to take them all out one by one here at the end. Yeah. Like I said before, it's very much very, very video game. Like, you know, there's uh like you get the a really kind of a boss level kind of thing going on with this. Like every level is just leading to another boss. Totally. But speaking of leading to the boss, we get where uh, Jack, you know, faces off against Lopan, and you know he's got his big moment of bravado. He, he shows up. He uh, was it not the rain element? Thunder. It was the thunder, right? That that, that was there. That was with uh, yeah. Lopan. And he's you know he, he's just like you know you know what Jack Burton always says at a time like this, and he's like who? He's like Jack Burton, me. <laughs> you know this that <laughs> mode of like. Like my name should, you know, should, yeah. pers- you know, precede myself. <laughs> but then he gets the he, he he all he's got is a knife against this guy who's you know basically immortal. Throws it, misses the first time. But of course, we all know it's all in the reflexes with Jack. Lopan throws a knife back at him. Jack catches it midair and literally plants it between his eyes with the second hit. I don't know what it is. I think Jack just need needed to be one up just to sh- just to show Lopan who was boss. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's also kind of like you know, it's a it's a nice surprise because you think like Lopan is kind of like you know, kind of the final boss, but then we get you know. 
we still got some some elements to deal with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that there is you know kind of some more going on because then Thunder shows up and he does some more of his uh, huffing and puffing and whoo, he puffs out more than his chest in this. He like uh, just expands get, until yeah. he explodes. Right, and and the the whole the sequence kind of reminds me of uh, of the uh, some of the effects in, um, damn it, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall. Uh, oh kinda, yeah, kind of get a little little bit of a Total Recall vibe. I feel like from from these effects, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird and it's creepy and a little gross factor, but. Uh, you know, I dig it. I I just th- there's this thing about this movie that boggles my mind on like how this would not fly today. Like, there's no way that a studio would allow like somebody to make this movie. Like, if if you came if this movie didn't exist, you came in like, here's my script. This is the pitch. They'd be like, no, <laughs> like, no, we're not gonna, no. we're not gonna risk it on this ridiculous movie that has no like franchise behind it, no backing, no nothing. Like there's, but like this is a this is the era of movies where studios were still like taking a lot of risks. They didn't have like a formula that made money at the time, right? And they took a chance, and you know the thing is, they end up with a cult classic on their hand, but they did not end up with a box office hit, which right. is still. As legendary as this movie is, you know, it's got to be a, uh, an irk to both, you know, the people involved and the money men behind it. This is like, you know, we had something. We just didn't promote it right. Like they could have had. Well, know, I think I think franchise time, Yeah, but but this movie has probably made its money back like, you know, I mean, and then some with with all the merchandising they have. They have comic books. They've got games. They've got. Uh, like they have video games, board games. They have a card game that I have, uh, Legendary Big Trouble in Little China, which is like a, a a deck building game that's a lot of fun. Um, you know, they've oh, got. Really? Is that still available? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's still available. Oh. Legendary Legendary makes they they make these really cool co op deck building games. Uh, I'm a big fan of their Marvel series. I have like a bunch of expansions for that. And then they, they release they've released a few different movie ones. They've got Big Trouble Little China, and then they also have Alien. And they have Predator, and if you buy both of those, you can play Alien versus Predator, which is pretty cool too. But um, they've got a bunch. I think they've got a handful of other ones too, other movie ones they've been doing. But they also have a DC version of it. Uh, but yeah, Mar- the Marvel version they just keep releasing expansions for, and I buy like the new expansion for that almost every year. I, I love that like that type of game. Uh, nice. But yeah, the Big Trouble Little China one, it's fun. It's it's a good time because you just kind of play through the storyline of the movie. <laughs> And what could be better than playing is Jack Burton, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but and even though we got two more, you know, with then bosses is gone. As we'll, call, we'll call him Lopan is gone. But uh, we still get a couple more deaths here. We got Thun- Thunder blows off some steam and he blows up in a big kaboom. They manage to escape through another level. And then Aikshin drops a Buddhist statue on top of lightning, which kind of makes them explode in a big light show. But no pun intended. And yeah. they ex- they escape in the old pork shop express. They escape to a lower level, and I love the the fact like Jack just like oh there's my truck like hey there's my truck like like yeah that's what you've been looking for the entire time. And the little little Easter egg 
when he when the light the light show happens at the tail end of that light show there's a little chinese symbol that appears in lightning and that symbol translates to carpenter really yes yeah i did not know that that's interesting i mean that's what i read on the internet <laughs> but i'm sure it's it's easy I, enough to be able to to look that up and and you know the you know uh to authenticate it Right. I, uh, I've always noticed the symbol there and I've always been curious to what it meant. So, yeah, in some of the. the oh, I'm weird... sure that that was an in joke. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was probably. Yeah. You know, the visual effects artists at the time was just like, and like, put your signature on it here. Yeah. Oh, the 80s. What a wonderful time it was. <laughs> Definitely. Then we get our celebratory ending. You know, everybody, you know, escapes pretty much unscathed. All our good guys get away. Egg Shen decides he's going to retire and and cash in and have a a long vacation. Uh, And Jack gets his money. And uh, Wang gives him nothing or triple. And he's like, it was nothing or double. And he's like, yeah, but you earned it. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I really did. Like, I really didn't do anything. But yeah, like, I went through enough hell. But he got his truck back. He gets nothing to triple, so he gets about $3,100, But I like at the end, you know, he's he's getting ready to leave, and he's not really even saying goodbye to Gracie because there's a you know there was a, a love thing kind of going on there and, and a little bit of tension between them. But Margot is uh, like, oh, my God, you know, you're not going to kiss her goodbye? And he's just like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> And he says it straight up. He's like, you know, sooner or later, I rub everybody the wrong way. But he's like, you know, I got to go out on my own. But I love the kind of the last line of the movie before we get to Jack's little epilogue, you know, when he's standing there talking to Wang. And I like I maybe I'm a little silly, but I get a little choked up because I feel like, it, you know, it's two good friends saying goodbye to each other for the last time. Right. Like there's that unspoken thing like they kind of know they're never going to see each other again. And like he tells him, he's like, we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Wang? And he's like, no bullshit, no bullshit. And then it's just Jack in the Pork Chop Express spouting off lines about, you know, his usual stuff. You know, talking to anybody out there on the airways that's listening. And then the camera pans back. And what do we see? Our little beast creature, our little uh, Tasmanian devil that face fucked Bigfoot is trailing <laughs> behind Jack. Promising, you know, the idea that if this took off, we would have a franchise and we would have a sequel, but we never really did. You know, maybe in comic yeah. book form. I've read a few of the comics. I read the uh, the Big Trouble in Little China Snake Plissken crossover comic, yeah. which was really interesting. But yeah, I know, had the during the time I had my comic book store, they were releasing some Big Trouble in Little China comics. I was reading those. Uh, yeah, I yeah, enjoyed it. Really it had, good. Had, a good, had a good sense of humor to it. Um, uh, you know, there is a sequel that's been thrown around and has been in the works here for, you know, like a while. And uh, um, I don't know if it's greenlit now, but I, last I heard, I think it is. But I don't think Carpenter's coming back for it, but it's got the rock in it as Jack Burton. <sighs> I just don't know what I think about that. You know, I, I just... I'm not a big into remakes and reboots and whatnot, you know, and I I did read a little bit about that, but they were saying that it was supposed to be, you know, a spiritual sequel and not a reboot. But if the rock is supposed to be playing Jack Burton, then it's a remake. 
Right. Yeah. It's supposed to be, yeah, it's supposed to be a, like a sequel, just, you know, recasted like your main character. But if anybody has the charisma, I think, I mean, The Rock's not necessarily a terrible choice. I just think that, I just think that, I, I, I know what the movie's going to look like when it's said and done. And it's, it's going to be, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Dwayne Johnson. Oh, I but, am too. But I think that he is now officially um, so far, like so famous that he, that the movies that he's in now are his movies. Like I am, I'm actually a big fan of the Fast and the Furious franchise, which I get a lot of hate yeah, for. Too. But I, 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 I do too. But I like those. <laughs> I like I like Hobbs and Shaw too as well. Well, see, I didn't really care for Hobbs and Shaw that much. Uh, but I. It, there's a when when the rock first shows up in the franchise his character is like just a brute like just a badass that you don't fuck with that is a uh you know he's a real character he's not the rock he actually like he's a he's he's separate from Dwayne Johnson but after a couple of movies that character just becomes the rock like he just becomes the the really you know charismatic fun action guy where when his character right. first appeared in the franchise, he was a threat. Like he was the bad guy. He was, I mean, he was a police officer, but he was like the bad guy. You were, you know, you didn't want to catch your, your, you know, your heroes or whatever. Yeah. But um, he kind of just does this thing. The Rock does this thing where he he just kind of takes over a franchise. Like he, he takes over a movie. His he, his head well, is too big for 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 it. So all in all, well, it's don't just they call him franchise. Up franchise viagra wasn't in the terms that even yeah. the rocket yeah, kind of used well i mean he he's he's part of the reason why the fast and furious franchise you know was such a success like later on like when when they brought him in it did change it for the better in the sense of box office results for sure but but he knew that and so did vin diesel which is i mean i guess why they don't get along or whatever but um uh but yeah but actually i just i'm reading right now um uh, that the Big Trouble Little Little China Two movie is canceled. So, uh, well, yeah, I I, I I just can't imagine a movie like this working today, and I can't imagine it working. I mean, like you said, The Rock is not the worst choice in the world for this, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of heat even for saying that. But it, he's just he's he's not Jack Burton. I think you know certain characters or certain actors are so synonymous with yeah the, you know the, the the character and the actor that's playing them that it's just hard you know it's again i've used this example many times is be like somebody else playing ash besides bruce campbell you know you can have an evil dead movie you can have an evil dead movie without bruce campbell but you can't have an evil dead movie with somebody else playing ash it's just like big trouble little china is just too iconic of a thing eh, i just think it wouldn't work and it's probably a good idea that it's it, it's canceled in a, in a way, you know, I mean, uh, I know that oh, this sure. means that 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 this means certain people are put out of work and certain jobs aren't happening. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't need to be remade. It doesn't need to be rebooted. I'm I'm, I'm not exactly like the biggest advocate of of remakes, but if you're going to remake something, remake a movie that's not already damn near perfect. Right. I mean, yeah, that, and that's what I always say: remake a movie that needs remade. Like like remake a movie that didn't quite hit the mark or, or, you know, suffered because visual effects at the time just weren't up to par. Um, you know, 
there's there are definitely movies out there that had potential that just didn't quite hit the mark. But the problem is selling a bad movie, you know what I mean? Like is is harder. It's hard to go right. It's hard to go, hey, go see this movie in theaters and you go, wait, I know that movie. That movie sucked like back when it came out. Like, why would I go see that? Again? <laughs> right. So it is it is a hard sell, but it makes more sense to go, hey, let's give this a second yeah. try. But you can also just change the name. That's the, that's my biggest annoyance is sometimes it's just when they remake a movie just to use the same name. Like, um, um what is Child's the Play is, is is a good one, a good example, I think. I actually didn't see the new Child's Play, but but I know the like the premise of, of it. Uh, Point Break is what I was thinking. Like, like the original Point Break versus the remake of Point Break is like, why did you even keep the same name? Like, like just change the yeah, characters. Yeah. Just, it's like all you did. All you did was found a script and went, hey, we can make this like Point Break. Let's just like change the let's change the character names and make the title. But that's you know, right. That being said, uh, let's not talk about the remake anymore. Yeah, well, they, nobody's going to be talking about the remake. It's not happening. <laughs> but let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts and review. And you, you've already been a guest on the show. You know how we do things. We usually do a little bit of a summary at the end and a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. So go ahead and take it away. Um, for me, this movie, I don't know. It's always had like this soft spot in my heart. Like I've always loved this movie as being... Uh, just such a ridiculous movie that always boggled my mind on how it got made. When I was a kid, I loved it. Uh, there was a pretty big gap in my life where I, uh, it, I kind of forgot about it and then re like rediscovered it in my like early twenties. I rediscovered it. And, uh, since then I've watched it, I don't know, once a year, every other year or so. Uh, I revisit it and have shown it to friends of mine who have not seen it because I'm like, how did this movie get made? Uh, I love this movie. And if, but uh, I do have issues with plots, with plot holes and just kind of like following the story is difficult. I feel like for the first 30 minutes or so, you're just like, I don't know what's going on. And then when you feel like, you know, what's going on, you still don't. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So it, because it makes of that, several uh, left turns, you know, yeah, because of that, I think I'll probably give it like a seven point five. But it's, I get, it's I tons of that. fun. Tons of fun. Um, I'm probably coming in a little bit higher than you. That uh, I saw this movie, like I said, fresh when it came out in '86. I saw it at the drive-in. Like once again, thank you, mom, for taking me to see all these crazy movies at the drive-in and shit when I was when I was a wee lad. Um, there's a whole lot of nostalgia with this. And, and again, like the story is a bit uh, muddled. You know, every time you do think that, yeah, you know, you've um, got it and you got a handle on the story, it takes a left turn. And then as it takes a left turn, it takes a right turn. And then it takes, it takes a turn downwards and upwards and diagonal. That's all. It is a bit all over the place, but if you can just turn your brain off a little bit, you know, it's a great popcorn movie. It is a whole lot of fun. Uh, the Jack Burton character is great. Uh, to me, Kurt Russell has never been funnier. And is for a movie that, you know, John Carpenter was involved in, I it's the most fun movie he's made. It's the most uh, comedic. It's the most, kinda, you know, jovial kind of movie. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, they were really in stride. You know, they were really hitting something, you know, here with... Uh, you're really, you know, f finding their ground, you know, between this 
and with you know they live and then prince of darkness this was kind of like part of the second wave of john carpenter's movies you know the first wave being you know salt on precinct 13 the fog and halloween and then we got you know kind of uh, you know big trouble little china then they live in prince of darkness i think this was right in the middle of his great second his second run his second wind well this is the last movie just sorry to cut you off this is the last studio movie he did uh in the 80s the uh 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 uh, the other two the other two movies that came out in the 80s were independence yes this was the last studio film uh they Live and Prince of Darkness were both uh, done through live pictures or live productions, which yeah. were both like independently produced. You, you are correct about that. But um, I'm coming in a little bit higher. Um, I'm coming in at probably an eight and a half. I'm coming in a full notch higher than you. But it's still a whole lot of fun. Uh, I can put this movie on at any time. It's good comfort food. You know, It's a comfort food kind of movie. Definitely comfort food kind of movie. This is a movie I put on in the middle of a Sunday to take a nap. <laughs> I always put on movies that I know, like I, I I know really well. Like I'll throw on the Ninja, the first Ninja Turtles movie because I could probably say that movie word for word, or or Back to the Future just to take a nap too. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know you can you can fall asleep for a half an hour and wake up and just be like, oh yeah, I know what part of this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly or i just put it on while i'm working on something yeah exactly it's like kind of one of those movies i put on like while i'm editing you know i'll have a movie playing on the tv on the other side of the room usually with the you know the the sound off and i'll just kind of watch it with the you know the closed captioning on and it's like i can hear it i can hear every bit of it every step of the way you know in my you know my mind's eye you know so yeah it's a great comfort food kind of movie totally but that being said that uh, this has been a fun show. I, I uh, enjoy getting to revisit this one. We've covered a couple of good ones here between this and From Dust Till Dawn, two equally crazy films and very fun movies. Very much so. I'm looking forward to uh, you know to coming back on the show again to you know talk some other fun movies. Yeah, yeah, we got plenty of shows and plenty of movies. As long as there's movies that we haven't covered, we got enough show material. Always. No. Now, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug or Lisa tell people where they can uh, they can find you on the interwebs? Um, you can check out my production company, Rad Entertainment, at radentertain.com. Uh, on there at the probably here at the end of the month, beginning of next month, I think at the end of this month, we'll have our latest film, Idol Girl, will be available uh, to you can buy the Blu-ray on there or the digital version. Uh, that'll be yeah available later this month, and then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tony Walters underscore, and I use that nowadays a lot. So check me out there. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you, Tony, uh, for for joining us again for another you know uh, monthly excursion into these bizarre movies we all love so much. Hey, I appreciate man, you giving me a couple hours. I appreciate you giving me a couple of hours of your time. I know you're a busy man. Hey, anytime. I, I enjoy the show. <laughs> hey, I, I enjoy m- matching uh, brains with somebody who knows as much about movies and movie trivia as I do. It's refreshing. <laughs> but that being said, folks, you have been listening to John Carpenter Appreciation Month on Cinema Degeneration, and we have been reviewing and dissecting 1986's Big Trouble in Little China. As always, thank you for listening, and remember... It's all in the reflexes.
Burton and the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, he looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says in a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. 